Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. So many exciting things going on right now throughout the tennis world. Of course, the first Grand Slam of the 2021 season officially underway in Australia. If you have missed any of the action, be sure to go check out our mini-break podcast feed. Jamie McDonald joined me for a Megapod recapping the first three days of the event. Worth noting, we will be going daily here on the mini-break throughout the rest of this Australian Open. That means weekends as well. Of course, we will be going daily on the mini-break podcast Monday through Friday throughout the duration of this 2021 season, but we do apologize for the lack of mini-break podcasts of late. Of course, that is because we were enjoying ourselves a phenomenal weekend of tennis last weekend in Stillwater, Oklahoma for the Division I Women's National Indoor Championships was such a great final match between UNC and Texas. It was really just a great final day in general. All the matches, 4-2 or 4-3, all of them at least three and a half hours in length. Of course, I'm going to recap all of those matches separately for a mini-break podcast you can all go listen to. But of course, we've got a really fun weekend of action slated for us ahead as we have the Division I Men's National Indoor Championships in Champaign kicking off this Friday. Eight of the top teams in the country all in one location should be a fantastic weekend of tennis. Of course, I am fortunate enough to be getting to cover that event in person as well. I will be joining Mike Cation on the broadcast. going to be incredible for me to get to sit next to, learn from the best while simultaneously enjoying some fantastic tennis. Of course, Chris Hallior's Matt Stokowiak and I going to preview that event on our Great Shot podcast feed, as we always do. So, of course, be out on the lookout for that wherever you listen to your Great Shot podcast feed. But we also wanted to talk with the head coach and our host for the weekend here on our Cracked Interviews podcast. That's the conversation I have for you today as I speak with head coach of the University of Illinois, a staple of the college tennis world dating back to his playing days at Michigan State. Head coach Brad Dancer joins the show to talk, of course, about hosting this weekend's event, but also to talk about his Illinois program. And I think anyone who follows uh, college tennis closely knows that the Illinois men's team has perhaps the most rabid following of any team across the country. It's true. The Illini net nuts, they're nuts. And of course, the following they have expands beyond that as well. There's a reason they play host to this national indoor event time after time. There's a reason Coach Dancer and his team have had the success that they have uh, throughout his tenure as head coach. So, of course, we want to talk to Coach Dancer about that. We talk a little bit about this 2021 season and so much more. It is a fantastic conversation. I cannot wait for all of you listeners to hear, of course, the reason we were able to have these podcasts day in, day out because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. But with that in mind, let's get to my conversation with University of Illinois men's tennis head coach, Brad Dancer.
Joining us on the podcast today is a guest. I'm not going to lie. I've been tracking down over the three years we've been doing this Cracked Interviews podcast. Now, of course, you will know him as he is in his 16th year at the helm of the University of Illinois program, a former standout at Michigan State as a player himself. It's head coach Brad Dancer. Coach, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to have you. How are you doing? So let's let's uh, not start off with lies. I was anything but a standout at Michigan State. So anybody who played against me and saw my forehand knows that. So, but I appreciate the compliment. I was going to say standout qualities. There were standout there qualities, right? Destined destined for head coaching. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, of course. No, you, you know, look, I always got to offer a little bit of butter before we get into the hard stuff. And you know, I have a ton of questions for you. You guys are playing host to the national indoors this weekend. That, of course, will be something. I want to discuss, but this is a question I have had since this match was played in 2015, so it's where I have to start today's podcast, and our listeners know I was born 1995, I was getting into college tennis right as YouTube highlights of the sport really were becoming available for the first time, and the best in the business always were you guys and the University of Virginia. By the way, there's a little more butter for you, another compliment to kick things off, but one of my favorite matches. I think the moment I was like, I'm all in on college tennis. This is the sport for me. 2015, it's February. You guys have a very good team. Ferris Gosia, Jared Hiltzik, Aaron Hiltzik, and uh, Australian Open first round almost knocks off Karen Hatchinov and Alex Vukic, I think playing five singles at the time. And you guys play host to the University of North Carolina in a match that I can only describe as maybe the most electric I have ever watched from a live stream. And so where I want to start today's podcast, that UNC match 2015, is it as memorable to you as it is to some of us college tennis fans from afar? And just what do you remember about that rivalry? Because I feel like quietly that Illinois-UNC mid-2010 rivalry might have been the best in men's college tennis. It was it was animated. It was heated. Um, you know, they, they had so many great players on that team. Ironically, we recruited a number of their great players on that team. So, you know, I think you always had that going. And then, um, you know, as you as you mentioned, Ferris, you know, he, he was sort of uh, like public enemy number one uh, in college tennis. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think it had all the makings for uh, for a great rivalry. And, and uh, you know, there was there was some unbelievable matches with those teams. No doubt about it. <laughs> It's funny you talk about that. I've had the chance to talk to both Jared Hiltzik and Ronnie Schneider. I know Ronnie, obviously, was someone you guys wanted at Illinois, uh, and he talks about those matches and, you know, just the quality of college tennis. And again, you've been a part of college tennis since the mid-90s when you played yourself. You've seen so many players filter through. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the level of college tennis as we enter the 2020s? This year, in particular, given the extra year of eligibility, it just feels like the talent spread across the country. Country, it's incredible well that's that you know I, I did a, some media here this week and I kept reiterating that you know you've got you know college tennis has been great the last few years a lot of talent but all of a sudden you you influx it with this new you know new freshman there's some great freshmen on these teams and then all of a sudden you're bringing back you know the Blumbergs and, and some of these other phenomenal players that you just you know we're, we're not expecting and so um, you know, this year that some of the teams and, and particularly the teams here this weekend are just, they're phenomenal teams are stacked all, all up and down the board. So, um, I think it's a year that, that, that we won't forget in terms of just the quality of the, of the tennis can be played. 
Mm-hmm. When you think, I'm just going to finish off, I'm going to sneak in one more on that UNC-Illinois rivalry, because when you think about those matches, again, the guys, Gosia, Hiltzik, Ronnie, and uh, Brett Clark, and Braden Schnur, you know, a lot of guys who have gone out and played some pro tennis, had success, you know, A, again, when you look back at those matches, I imagine the NCAA one is the one that, probably one of the stingers in your career, and then B, just when you look at it as a pathway to the pros in general, I feel like college tennis, perhaps now more than ever, given the pandemic, uh, is such a great resource in terms of pro development. Yeah, I think that's a whole topic in itself. I mean, the pandemic's changing (laughs) everything in terms of, you know, just, I think there's a lot of, of young men in the states overseas that are saying hey I, there's no there's no place for me to play right now so you know what what, what do i do and and i think so i think college tennis is about ready to have another influx of, of really high level players which is again exciting for the next few years um you know, it's funny you mentioned that match that's you know we've had a, you always have a lot of tough defeats as a coach um that is certainly up there with them you know i, I think it was <laughs> two days before that and you know one of our you know, kind of heart and soul and stars and was playing great, great singles at six and number one doubles was, was Ross Guion and he broke mm-hmm. his finger, you know, playing ultimate Frisbee with us. And so that took a little bit of edge off of us. Um, you know, I think just psychologically a little bit and, you know, we lost that doubles point and, and then Carolina was good enough that it was an uphill battle the rest of the way. And, and, uh, yeah, we just, we couldn't pull through and, and certainly, uh, you know, even you just talking about, it, I can feel it down in my gut a little bit. So <laughs> That that one hurt, no question. Yeah, well, that's why the butter was there early on. That's right. So, so I can set up for that question again. It's a I say it all the time. I'm the Barbara Walters of tennis podcasts. But uh, again, for you guys looking towards this weekend and the state of college tennis in general, and if you don't mind me saying, here's a little more butter. I I don't. You look at the past ten years. It's hard to argue anyone from a program standpoint, top to bottom, has done it. You know, certainly there may be some who have done it as well, but no one has done it better than what you guys are doing at Illinois. And you know, going back, I think it was 2013 when you guys hosted the NCAA tournament and you know now this year and you know repeatedly you guys have hosted in Chicago but to get to host the national indoors amidst the pandemic uh, obviously what does that mean to the program and ultimately you know why was it important for you guys to continue to play host this year you know given I'm sure the option of canceling was very much uh, considered I I think canceling came up about every day with our administration (laughs) for a couple months straight and so you know, we kept pushing. I, I think we just kept believing there, there's got to be a solution. You know, there's got to be a way to pull this off. And um, we love hosting the event. Uh, you know, again, I, to be honest, I, we really love to host it in Chicago where a lot of our alumni are living and, and can come out and be a part of that event. But I think we recognized fairly early on that was that was just not going to be feasible this year. And then the ITA working with us and, and, and working with our public health department have, have uh, again, I'm not going to say we pulled it off yet because we haven't even started yet. So let, let me let me save that till Sunday, uh, you know, until we get that last match played on Sunday. But um, I think our, our staff has worked tirelessly to, to try to make it happen, and and that's awesome. And it, it, it takes so many people, you know, not just in the medical field, but uh, event management as well. That you know, all these little logistics we've got going. It you know, tell people you can't walk this way. You, can't, you know, you can only go different traffic <laughs> flows. And so it'll be challenging and, and different for everyone. But the bottom line is hopefully these guys are going to, uh, you know, not only get to compete for a national championship, but but also do it with uh, with, with you and Cation uh, showcasing it to the world. So. <laughs> 
No, I I was telling everyone the competition on court is going to be the product that everyone's there to tune into. The what what's going to make everyone stay is the competition going on in the booth between me and Mike. There's going to be some <laughs> jostling. It'll all be out on the table between the two of us. It'll be half the fun. But no, of course, you know, talking about the competition this weekend for your team and I was fortunate enough to get to be there yesterday. You guys began your season against Wisconsin strong for win to you uh 4-1 win for your team, but to get the chance to have a weekend like this where you get to bring in you know seven of the top teams in the country to your home courts and get three really good matches again amidst the pandemic how valuable is that for your team yeah it's great i think the only downside for us is we would like to have played before this you know just <laughs> yes, yesterday's the first time we get a chance to you know to even strike some balls against an opposing team and so uh all these other teams you know clearly played in kickoff weekend so they got tested twice coming into that and a lot of them have played other matches in addition to that so um, that's the only downside, but, but again, they're on our courts. Um, you know, we're, we're here at home. Our guys get to sleep in their own bed. And, and, and so I think there's a lot of positives to, you know, to hosting this here. Um, and, and the reality is, is just, you know, you, here we go. You get, you get shots at, at as you said, seven of the, probably the top 10 teams in the country. Right. And so hmm. we're going to get three shots and, and, uh, we're going to see if we can be ready on Friday night. Mm-hmm. And you're a team, and I know we were talking about it, you were hoping to have Florida in, but in the past you've brought in Virginia. I know you guys played UCLA a couple of years ago in the buildup. You're someone who likes to schedule the best teams in the country, have your team tested even before the national indoor event begins. How difficult has it been to simulate that competition in practice? Because certainly, you know, you've got 10 guys up and down the roster who can play some serious tennis, but, you know, there's nothing like a dual match, I am sure. How difficult is it to replicate that environment in practice? I think it's impossible. You know, we try it all the time. Um, we're trying to create that intensity, trying to create that, you know, that engagement of, of your opponent that we always talk about. Um, but there's nothing like, you know, we saw yesterday with Wisconsin, just, you know, getting out there. And it's just very, very different when someone is clearly trying to beat you. You know, your, your, your teammates are trying to beat you, but you know you're going to go hang and eat dinner together afterwards and everything else. And, <laughs> and this is entirely different. And so um, tough, tough to simulate. And, and that'll be one of our biggest challenges, you know, is how do we get mo- emotionally ready and physically ready for, for Friday night? Because we're going to play a you know, phenomenal team on Friday night. If you don't mind me asking, how was the recovery process today for your team? First match, not only the physical battle, but obviously the mental wherewithal, you know, the toll that takes. Uh, how are the guys recovering today? Yeah, I, th- I think they've done great. You know, we had a great uh, a physical session this morning that was really geared towards recovery. And then, you know, the guys all have, have their videos that they're looking through from singles and doubles yesterday. So, you know, we've, we've kind of met with all the guys, looked at their videos with them and, and, and kind of gone through that process. And so now um, – you know, it's, you, you gotta, you gotta keep training enough where you're, where you're ready to go. But a lot of it's is now mental and physical. You know, it's hard, it's hard to get your forehand a lot better uh, between now and Friday night. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I think we're, we're focusing a lot on, on just having these guys ready to go. Unless you're Alex Kovacevic, then it's like, oh, it's because your tension was off. So it's right. like, yeah, we're going to get your forehand a lot better. Like, don't worry, we'll be just fine. And, you know, usually I don't have the opportunity to get this granular with a coach, but I was there in person yesterday. I think it was 5-2. Alex Banchilla served for that set at three doubles. I feel like from a coach's perspective, you kind of got to love that he got broken that early. You're like, see, here's the learning experience. Now we can go from here. What did we do wrong? And in that instance, it was probably couldn't land a first serve. But, you know, again, is that the sort of thing? That's what's missing where maybe that degree of film session from a practice session just doesn't stick as well? 
Well, it's it's exactly right because you know we we talk to them all the time about different things, and uh, and so yesterday goes to serve four five two, zero for five on first serves in that game. Yeah. You know, d- doesn't make one, and and then again, not only that, but you're looking at the trajectory of the ball and and, and what he needs to be doing. And so he's he's a perfect example of someone that you know he he's got all the tools, all the ca- uh, capacity to play great tennis, and um, you know, and he's and he's doing that at times. It's just you know tennis is a huge part of it is serving and so when he when he starts to get his serve click and he's going to be fantastic for us and i think that was just something you know it was, it was great to just pull up that game on film and be like here's what we got you know <laughs> no absolutely the most striking thing to me was you know you see alexander kovacevic who i feel like if you're in the building you're gonna call kova savage just because that's all you hear it's ringing in the building over and over again and so you know i'm gonna have to ask him for permission at some point but you know i i saw them lined up at number three double and I'm thinking, okay, you know, this is some coach dancer antics here. I love it. And then I watch Kawaisi and Monsi play at one doubles. Those guys are unbelievable. And I'm curious, yesterday, you know, I think they played about as well as perhaps they could have. But what what were you seeing from those two, particularly Kawaisi, the transfer from Valpo, you know, those guys, these teams early on in doubles, it's different than what you had last year. So what were you seeing with the doubles choices here early on? Yeah, I think... You know, right now, I like the chemistry that we have with our teams. Um, you know, I think, again, like Brown and Heck were up up a break and up in that mm-hmm. game. And I think they, they were on a great trajectory as well. So they, they've looked really good in practice. Um, and then, you know, you know, I told someone the other day, you know, r- right now we've got Quaesia that can serve 135 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> and, and Seeps is our best returner. And, and then you've got AB who can serve 130 miles an hour. And Hunter's probably our second best returner. And then you've got... You know, COVID three, who who's bombing serves and, and, you know, right up there with one of our best returners. So I, I think we've, we've got the means, you know, in my mind, we've got some good separation of things and doubles and good chemistry that I'm hoping we break out of our, you know, it's been rough for, you know, everybody thinks Illinois has got great doubles because back in the day it was Delich and Stoltz and Calkins and Wilson and Ram. And, you know, it's like they just walked out and trounced everyone, but we're, we're a long ways away from that. And against, against to be honest top 10 top 15 teams we have not fared well in doubles over the last few years and so we we've got a big emphasis to try to change that and and be a little bit more uh, of an elite doubles team this year somewhere kapinski and guillon are crying that you didn't yeah fair them. enough they're fair like enough. come on they're like throw <laughs> us on the list coach we belong there we were number one in the country um but yeah no i i mean i agree that's absolutely uh you know double, the doubles point proves so important and when you look at your team this season and i mentioned this on the broadcast and it's something we've talked about before for all of these teams coming into 2021 it's essentially a mulligan for the 2020 season and i'm sure respectfully uh that your team is very much looking forward to the chance to have a mulligan you guys I think it was you lost four of your first five last season you ended up you know five and six when the season ended so many close matches that Duke match just all of those third sets breaking against you you get to bring back that whole team and when you have a core of Kovacevic and Alex Brown and Zeke Clark who have played in an NCAA quarterfinal as recently as 2018 and then you get to bring in talents like Banchilla and Hunter Heck and all the other talents you have as well is this, I mean, to say you view it as a mulligan, perhaps that's too extreme, but is there a sense of, you know, is there a hunger to this team thinking, okay, we get to redo what went wrong last year? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I blame almost 100% on our start last year to coaching. I, I think we, we, we got sloppy in, um, in, some of the, in some of the details last year. 
And we had, we had a team that, that again, I, I thought going in last year, we were going to be fantastic. And mm-hmm. it, it just goes to, sh- it goes to show me a little slip up here, a little bit lack of attention to, you know, to X or Y or Z. And the next thing you know, you just, you're missing that edge. And I think, you know, like you said, every match we lost here, we just kept losing by the thinnest of margins. You know, Lucas Horvath got like five match points in the doubles against Ole Miss. And, and we end up, and then he serves for the match in singles against Ole Miss. Any one of those points go our way. And, and, and we advance out of that and, 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 you know, play Michigan second round. I think we felt really comfortable about that. We just kept, it, it just, we couldn't get out of our own way. And, and again, usually when that happens, you got to think there's a reason. And, and I think Coach and I look back and we had some, we had some tremendous feedback from our seniors last year, many of who are back this year about what they thought we could be doing better. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't blaming on the coaches, just thought, Hey, we can do this better. And it was awesome. And it was kind of a little bit of a come to Jesus, you know, time for us at one point. And I felt so good about the trajectory we were on at the end of last year, you know, and that was building over the last sort of three weeks of the season. So I think we were optimistic about where the season was going to finish last year. Um, so I think more than anything else, we're just determined, you know, sort of hell bent right now. Like this is, this is where we're going. You know, this is, this is what we're doing and, and we're going to be, we're going to be playing a certain way. We're going to be competing a certain way. And, and we're just not going to have those things fall against us. And we're not going to have excuses for that this year. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to hear you talk about that communication with your players because every player we talk to, you ask them what goes into your recruiting decision. And, uh, you know, without a doubt, we, you know, time after time after time, they say, well, you have to be comfortable with the coaches. And so to have a fifth year, you know, and by your fourth year, you're, you know, you're you're living in the same house with someone. You know what ticks them off. They know what ticks you off. You know, I'm sure you guys, it's an open relationship at this point. But to have, you know, the opportunity to have Kova and AB and Zeke back and that communication with them, how important is that, especially given all the extracurricular stuff going surrounding this season? How important is that communication uh, between, you know, the coach and the senior leaders? Yeah, and, and again, we, we've got, when you look at our team, you know, in terms of examples of setting, when you've got the Zeke Clark and the Vuk Budic and the Noe Khalif, and we just got tremendous models. And, and, and Koba, for all of his idiosyncrasies, you know, he's a great model in terms of like, he's one of the most attentive to to his habits. Now, you know, a lot of that is individual. We got to do a lot of individual work with him sometimes, but it's like, but he's really attentive. And I think it's good for the guys to see that a guy with a, with a professional mindset, hey, this is what I want to get done. This is what I need to get done. And uh, so all those things are just good teaching moments, like you said, for some of the younger guys out there. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And you talk about Alex and, you know, what was so interesting is that he did struggle a little bit at the beginning of last season, particularly given was it quarterfinals, either Knoxville or I think it was the Knoxville challenger. Maybe it was Tallahassee. I don't remember which one it was. And I think he made a final that summer in a futures event as well. And he had all of this pro success going into 2020. And, you know, again, it's an eye test thing. You watch him play for two minutes and you'll be like, who's this guy? Like he does it better than the other 11 guys out on the courts right now. And just the way the ball explodes off of his racket. You've obviously coached a lot of guys who have gone on to play in the pros. When you watch him playing, having that at the top, you know, that sort of talent at the top of your lineup, what does that do for the rest of the team? I think it gives the guys confidence. I, I think they feel like Kova can, can always compete against anybody. Um, and, and again, I think we're, you know, not only can he do that, but I think with, with AB's serve and, and Monty's return and Zeke's return and feistiness, I think you know, we've always got four guys out there right now over the last couple of years that, that I think they feel like they can play with anybody in the country. 
Um, and I think, you know, what we put out there yesterday, we're hoping that needless to say that with some of our other guys now at five and six, and, and I think we, I think we have a deep team this year that, that those guys can also adopt that same attitude. Like, Hey, I don't care who I play, where I play, I, I can play with anybody in the country. And that's, that's certainly the goal you want to have on your team all the time. But I think Koba, Koba gives us certainly that edge. We've seen him beat, um, you know, I had, I had a, a long time booster has been a fan of Illinois tennis for 35 years. And after Koba had that great run, um, you know, where he beat Cressy when that match with UCLA and then, and then rolled through indoors. He's like, that's the best week of tennis any Illinois player has ever put together. And I was like, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement when you look at all the people <laughs> that have played here over the years, but I'm like, it was hard to argue, you know, he, he beat, you know, Siskard was, you know, number one player at Texas. And, and then, and he just, you know, that, and then I think it was Crawford, number one player at Florida and, and, you know, Cressy. And it's just like, and the week before that he'd beaten Blumberg and uh, I think uh, Alvarez from Duke, you know, so it's like, it was just an incredible week. And, so when somebody can put all those matches back to back to back, it certainly gives the rest of the team a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. And for your guys this weekend, you know, we saw yesterday, I think it was Hunter Hack at six singles, drops that first set, ends up coming back and winning, winning in three. That's obviously a valuable experience. But again, uh, to have seven of the other top teams in the country come into your place this week and you're going to get three good matches. What are you hoping to take away from it uh, from uh, for your team this weekend? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is is – you know, our older guys know what this is. You know, they, they know that, that we got to throw it everything out on the line Friday night. I mean, you literally have to just throw it all on the line and then, you know, win or lose Friday night, you have to come back Saturday and, and do it again. And, and you just, you have to somehow get your mind conditioned to that. And that's so critical, um, you know, for our guys. And it's going to be an important point, you know, that we emphasize one more time again with the team is we have to lay it all on the line Friday night lay it all on line Saturday and lay it all on line Sunday. And and there's just sort of, it just doesn't matter anyway about it. We got to figure out a way to be at our best, you know, and again, we may not be at our best yet. I, I don't think there's any chance we're going to be at our best because we just haven't played, but you know, we've got to by Sunday, hopefully be a lot better than we are Friday night. So, mm-hmm. well, if it's any indication, we saw that certainly last weekend at the national Enders. all of these teams, I think it was four, three, four, three, four, two, four, three in the Sunday matches, all of them yeah. were phenomenal. So I'm expecting a similar weekend uh, here coming up. And, you know, you look beyond the national indoors for your team and for all of the big 10 teams, it's a conference based schedule. And obviously that's for reasons outside of your control, but I'm um, here's it. Do you have any concerns about that? The, you know, the uh, a, not just from a competition perspective but also from a rankings perspective that you're only going to be playing big 10 teams what that does to screw everything else up you know what are your concerns for the rest of the year yeah i mean to be honest our concerns right now are really you know how how can we manage covid the best because there's a stark reality that the team is able to you know to figure out and navigate that and and keep as many guys out of protocol as possible because you want to have your team available to play each week so you know that's number one and then number two is is again from that taking our guys that we do have available and making sure they're completely ready to go and lining them up. So after this weekend, you know we've got Penn State on Friday and we know they've got uh, good tennis players on their team. So it's it's really just a matter of like each match who's going to be available, you know, based based on COVID stuff, and and then out of those guys having them ready to go and ready to be up for the challenge. Other than that, I don't think there's anything we can do. You know the rankings. I think the ITA is meeting regularly on, you know, what's going to be the best way to configure rankings this year with, with the Pac-12, Pac-12 and Big Ten, uh, you know, sort of isolating and only playing conference. So there's a lot of challenges that uh, probably above my pay grade that, that the ITA <laughs> will figure out and, and, and uh, you know, and, and make it the best for, for all the teams in the country. 
Yeah, no, yours and mine both, Coach. I agree with you there. Um, I am curious, you know, for you, moving beyond this, you you talk about recruiting and just planning for the next few seasons. Obviously, the scholarship numbers are all a little bit messed up right now, and certainly we saw there were plenty of grad transfers this past year. I anticipate that will continue to be a thing for all the athletes who have that extra year of eligibility, but how difficult has it been to, you know, recalibrate recruiting given, again, that extra year of eligibility? Yeah, so it's it's been one of the trickiest things possible because, you know, you look at a great example is, is Alex Brown on our team who's going to graduate this spring. And, and um, you know, as I keep telling him, in a, in a perfect scenario, he he's ready to play pro tennis. You know what I mean? Like, let's get him ready and, and move on and, and go on from that. But I think Alex is also a smart enough guy to realize, hey, if I could if I could start, you know, getting a master's in finance while I'm while I'm. Uh, playing another year because he loves he loves college tennis so i think these are some of the dilemmas these guys are going through so i think we'll try to do that for 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 him and and you know i guess so getting him back but now that takes aid away from other freshmen that you're recruiting so just navigating that and and i feel bad for the class of 21 um you know going forward and even class of 22 because i think a lot of coaches are still up in the air about how they're going to do it and, and as you alluded to grad transfers we've looked at about three or four different uh, grad transfer possibilities so um navigating all that. and that's not typically something we would do but you know if you look at like Baylor right now and and all the success that they they've had so far with with three great guys that are that are all in their grad program and so if you get the right guys they can they can come in there and 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 maybe and maybe help your culture you know you always worry about oh well one year guy can't help your culture but maybe they can if they're the right guys Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I think we all saw yesterday bots are going to Virginia. That's certainly interesting. That's you know that registers on all of the radars. There will be more pay, uh, more players who you know of that caliber who continue to make choices like that because yeah, why wouldn't you go get a master's degree if you can? Why wouldn't you do whatever it is? Uh, you know, go get an extra grad degree and still play college tennis. By the way, it's going to be amazing how good some of these players are who are in these masters program. Like we might have our first person ever who simultaneously playing one singles and getting an NBA. Right. Like, that is, that's freaking nuts. Like that, that in itself deserves some sort of award. Um, but, you know, you, you talk about your program's culture. And again, I, I kind of want to take a deep dive here because I have been following Illinois so close. And I believe you came to Illinois. Was it 2004 or 2005? Yeah. That first season, uh, I think it was right after they had won that national championship. And obviously the program's rocking and rolling. Craig Tiley has, uh, you know, all systems go. And it's safe to say, I think you have kept the program, again, top 10, uh, repeated finishes, NCAA round of 16, quarterfinal finishes. I'm curious, what goes beyond the players, just what goes into maintaining that degree of success uh, for your program? I think it's really the, the, it's the entirety of of coaching. And, you know, I think (laughs) not to, not to overplot what we do, but, you know, we're a little bit of a CEO and and, and I think Marcos is is sort of a co-CEO with me. He does such a phenomenal job, and it, it, it goes all the way from alumni relations, which is, you know, our alumni are a huge part of, of, of our program's continued success and and, uh, and and engaging the fans and the community here in Champaign as well, and obviously recruiting, and then the, the mentoring and the mentoring process of, you know, we've got so many of our alumni that are deeply involved in our current student-athletes' lives, so really just making all these guys feel, you know, once once they come on board and sign with Illinois, they're part of that family, and, and once you're part of that family – you're going to be part of that for the next 50, 60 years of your life. And so um, I think that that whole aspect of it, that all that engagement of all of all of our alums, all of our boosters, all of our support around us is just a big, big part of, of making it all happen. 
Mm-hmm. And I've said it before, but you know, again, even via live stream, you can tell how loud it is in that Atkins Tennis Center. And you know, the Illini Net Nuts, they do their thing. And I now being in the center, the fact that the crowd hangs over the courts, it's incredible. Again, that's how you want to watch a college tennis match. How do you get? people to continue to come back. You know, because I've said it before, and I, I saw a stat, and I, I feel bad I, I should have favorited the study, but I saw a stat that college tennis, of all of the non-revenue college sports, has the highest retention rate of fans, meaning if you can get a fan in the door once, they're more likely than not to come back. And so I, I think you guys, it's safe to say, have had that success at Illinois. Why do they keep coming back? Well, it's funny you say I talked to our local news guy today, and he's like, is it just killing you that there's no fans? And I'm like, Friday night, 6.30, number one USC. I'm like, that'd be one of the matches where the fire marshal shows up and says, hey, these, these 300 people have to leave the building. You know what I mean? And we've had that happen before where, you know, the fire marshal's coming in and kicking people out. So that that's a killer to me that it's not going to happen this weekend. And then I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm nervous about that for next year. I'm nervous about – you know, because again, people get out of their their rhythms and rituals, right? Like I, I talked to a couple of our, our most diehard fans earlier this week, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, they haven't even really been in touch with what's going on." You know, because it's just not, you know, usually we're plugging so many things and communicating so much, and we haven't done that. We probably need to do that either way, even though they can't come watch. But uh, you know, listen to your beautiful broadcast, right? You got to get got to get people <laughs> listening to it. So. But uh, I'm nervous about that, to be honest. Yeah, how how do we get how do we get these back in here and pack in Atkins next year? No, I mean I even remember the NCAA championships that 2013 year because again Virginia was one of the schools you just had to follow because there were so many highlights and uh, Atkins was packed like for every day of the NCAA tournament you saw the crowd were filled and you know that speaks to again the broader engagement I know you guys it's not just and having talked to Kathy and some of the people at the athletic department you know I know they were just as bummed that they didn't have the champagne challenger at the end of this season as well, because that champagne challenger has been a staple of the tennis calendar and, you know, enjoying it in the Atkins Center to end the season. Uh, you know, for you guys, how important is that challenger and just keeping the community engaged even when it's not the dual match season? Absolutely. I mean, we, we again, we, we place all of our pro events strategically placed at different times for our guys to, to sort of get the maximum opportunity out of it. And you know, not having we, we missed out on on five pro events this last year. So we had five events on the docket uh, with the USDA, and we're not able to host one of them last year. And so, you know, as we go into this year, I think we're going to be able to squeeze in a couple. We're keeping our fingers crossed, and then you know, hopefully by 2022, we'll be back up and 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 revving at maybe five or six events again. But that's that's um, you know, those are all aspects. You know, when we sign people up for our corporate hospitality. It's not just for the dual match season. It's for all of our pressure, uh, professional events as well. So they get to come out and, and uh, you know, and have cocktails and dinner and so forth and watch our guys play and and some of the professional events. So it's just something. Again, we we're going to have to we're going to have to you know restart or kickstart or I don't know. We're, we're going it, it's going to be a little bit like building it from scratch again, which will be a huge challenge for us and probably have to put Marcos in charge of that. So. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's that's why you have assistance. That's where the volunteer comes in. Um, but, you know, for you guys, I'm curious from the tennis perspective, you know, and it goes without saying, Rajiv Ram won a Grand Slam title last year in doubles. Kevin Anderson, singles finalist at Grand Slams. And, you know, I, I've mentioned it again, Vukic just played in the Australian Open. How important is it for members of the team to get to see and have that exposure to challenger-level tennis? Yeah, it's it's a huge part. And it's funny, I had another one of our former workers here and he was, you know, texting me at 
five thirty this morning, you know, with Curios and Umber in the in the fifth set, and he's like, "Man, that guy! I just I remember watching him last year at the Challenger." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's that's the way it goes, you know. That's that's the next step." And so I think it's so important for our guys to to be a part of the Challenger, see these guys, and uh, you know, Nishikori's played here, and, and and a number of other of great great players, and so you see that, and and then you just gotta, you know, again, you learn from that, pay attention from that, and realize like, hey, they're humans too, you know, they make mistakes as well, and so. You know, tennis is not a game of perfection, and I think all all our guys need to see that. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Well, with that in mind, I just want to do again a couple quick things before I let you go. I know you got to get back, get your team, get everything set for this weekend's action. But I want to take a deep dive down memory lane because obviously, I believe it was that 2006-2007 season. Your team makes an NCAA final, and you know, I believe that team overall. You look at the record; I think they went something like twenty-two and nine during the season, one and two at the national indoors, and you guys lost. I think it was like a seven-zero loss to Ohio State just like a month before the NCAA tournament. And then everything clicked for you guys. And I'm just curious, when you because we do see that in college tennis from time to time. Case in point, that Texas team, probably in 2019, they were the right team at the right moment that got hot, and they won the title. Now, for you guys, obviously, it was a run to the final. But when you look back at that season, you know, what was it about? You know, what, what ended up clicking that allowed you to go on that run come NCAA tournament? It was it was such a magical time for us, and and I use that example all the time because we looked not very strong in the first round against Western Michigan. Uh, in the second round against Michigan, we were absolutely dreadful in doubles, and uh, and it looked like we were just going to get run out of the building. Ripped uh, my we, heart out afterwards, oh. <laughs> and 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 just kind of to be honest, gutted that went out, and then we go play Ole Miss in the uh, in the round of sixteen. And we looked just asleep during the doubles there. And, and Kevin Anderson was two points away from, from, uh, from losing that match, and we would have been eliminated. Um, but once we got by there, you could, just, you could just feel that at that moment, all the things that coaches were preaching, was like, okay, this, this does matter. You know, these things do. And it was just like it just you needed those wins to do it. And then from there on out, I got to be honest, even going against Georgia in the finals, I felt great. But Ohio State in the quarters, we came out completely ready, you know, just ready to go and, and, and won that match. Baylor in the semis, the one thing I can tell you about that, that was a 9 o'clock in the morning match against Baylor. And, you know, we typically play at 6 o'clock at night here. And I was so worried about, you know, how what are we going to do, you know, for a 9 o'clock in the morning match. So we went out and, uh, and I got Matt Brukowski to turn on the lights at Georgia at 4 o'clock in the morning. And... Um, so we went and hit at four in the morning. I didn't let the guys go back to bed. I just wouldn't be like, I want to be awake for, you know, a nine o'clock in the morning match. And sure enough, we, we snuck that doubles point out against Baylor. And that was the difference. We won four, three in that match. Um, and then going into the finals match against Georgia, we, we had, we bust like 250 fans down there. We were so loud and obnoxious. ESPN had to tell our fans to be quiet during their intros and stuff like that. And so, I don't know. We were so confident going in that match. And I think a couple of things swung out. We served for the doubles point in that and didn't, didn't get it. And, you know, I just, I still feel to this day, if we could have just, Georgia didn't face any pressure that year. You know, they dominated everybody. And I just wanted to get that bit of score pressure on them in the finals and see if we could capitalize on it, but could, couldn't quite do it. But that was a, that was a magical run. And GD Jones served underhand through that whole fortnight and, and beat up on everybody. So it was, it was a great, great magical time. Now, when you think back, were you like, oh, Billy Heiser, you are going to be a coach someday? It's so funny you say that. You know, you know everybody, everybody in college, you're just young in college, right? And Billy made <laughs> some mistakes in college and, and so forth. And, 
he's a great example of like you always you know it doesn't matter what happens you always stick with guys and billy was a great player back then always had a great feel for the game had great coaching from his dad growing up and so i think he he loves it now he, he he's immersed as a professional tennis coach and it's just kind of cool you know he's helped our guys a ton over the last few years uh, you know again just being a great mentor to them and so it's you know we were going going down under and tk's down there with with uh with buki and, and heiser's down there and, and with Rajiv and kevin it's it's kind of a little bit of a fun reunion for those guys. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I am sure you get this question all the time, but I have to ask, when did you know with Kevin? Was there a time, and maybe you didn't know, but, uh, you know, I, again, I say it a lot of times. There is an eye test to this. If you watch enough college tennis, you know, the first time you show up, you're going to think, holy crap, everyone is so freaking good. All these guys can be pros. But the more and more you watch, there's the Kobas of the world, the Blumbergs of the world, where you just see the forehands, and you're like, yep, that's a pro forehand. And I'm curious with Kevin, was there a moment, perhaps, during his career where you're like, oh, yep, I see it now? I, I'll be honest with you, Kevin, it's all his mind. You know, everyone yeah. always talks about that. And, and there's nothing with Kevin, you know, outside of the serve that would be like, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, it's the best this or the best that. But he's got one of the best minds I've ever seen on a tennis court. His uh, One of our boosters once said that he said, he goes, everything is like a water on a duck to Kevin Anderson. It just rolls off his back. And it's it's incredible and impeccable uh, how he how he performs under pressure uh, time and time again. You know, he just he is so, so tough mentally. And uh, he can handle any, any adversity out there. It never stops. And uh, so that to me, is, it's really been a testament. Just to, and I tell our guys that all the time. Like Kevin's game has gotten so much better while he was in college. And then every year it's gotten better in the pros. And you add that to his tough mind. And so now when you watch him play, yeah, he's beating the snot out of the ball. He was not beating the snot out of the ball when he was in college. You know what I mean? He had a great serve and, and he was really tough mentally, but he was not cracking the ball. And now he's, he's smacking the ball transition. All the things that you know, we worked on during that time, but it's not an overnight process. I can promise you that. Mm-hmm. No, and you know who was smacking the ball when he was in college, and not just the ball, but also smacking the court. That's Alex Vukic, who obviously, again, first round loss here, but had Hatchinov. I think he was up a break the majority of that third set, and had he won that breaker, it looked like he probably gets over the hump in that one. And you know, again, the forehand for him—that's another one where it just kind of popped out for you. But to see him now, still twenty-four years old, uh, old only, and I think he cracked the top two hundred for the first time last year. Uh, for him to go from and playing five singles to being an All-American as a senior now, challenger titles, just you know, for Alex Vukic, what continued to work for him? Well, again, it's funny. I don't mean to sound redundant, but again, another <laughs> guy that's just tough as nails, right? So Vukic mm-hmm. is tough as nails. You look at the commonality of those guys. Like, they're tough and they can serve. You know, they can hit aces mm-hmm. with their first serve. So if you're tough and you can hit aces on your first serve, you know, they give you six new balls in pro tennis. So it, it helps a lot. And I think that that's testament to both those guys and just a willingness to keep growing, right? Those guys are growing all the time. Their games are growing. I, you know, I got to watch the, the match the other night and seeing Vuki and his backhand is much more versatile than it was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when he played here. So I know he's been spending a ton of time with that with the coaches in Australia. So, you know, if you keep growing and you've got a weapon and you're tough, I, I just keep playing tennis. You know, there's no question about it. You, you'll You'll break through at some point. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, uh, it's interesting you keep pointing to the mind because I agree, so many of these guys you can hit the forehands, you can hit the serves, but are you willing to go hit them in Estonia three weeks after you were in Tunisia <laughs> for three weeks and after you were in whatever for three weeks? And yeah, I agree with you. Alex Vukic checks off all of those boxes. And for you personally as someone who, all right, now that we're admitting it, didn't have the greatest college tennis career 
Uh, you know, what drew you back initially as an assistant at Michigan State? And I know you've been a couple of places, but what drew you back in uh, to college tennis and keeps you, you know, again, with your University of Illinois program? Because I'm sure you could have gone and coached elsewhere or gone and coached professionally, whatever, at some point during your career. Yeah, I think I had my fill of that, you know, so, so from <laughs> kind of, you know, 94 to 99, I was coaching professionally and, uh, and, and went to all those events and and had that experience and, and that was tremendous. But that whole time, you know, all I could think about was, you know, getting, getting back and coaching college tennis. And you would, you would laugh at some of the jobs that, you know, wouldn't give me a call back at the time. Um, you know, I, I was coming there and I'll be, a, you know, your volunteer assistant or whatever else. And no, no desire to talk to me. And then I, I was really fortunate with, um, with uh, Jim Lavengood and Rocky LaRose that they hired me out of Arizona and, and kind of helped me get started in college tennis. But, uh, you know, I, I just think for me, I knew that I knew I didn't want to be on the road all the time. You know, I knew that for certain. I wanted to be part of a community. And so then it was a matter of finding the right community and, and Champaign and the people and the friends that we have here. It's, this is an, an incredible town. And, and, and I love the Midwest, too. So Champaign's been really, really generous to us. And, and we've got I've had work for great athletic directors here. And, and Josh is is, uh, you know, he's got a vision of, of how he wants to see Illinois athletics at, at, at the pinnacle. So. It's fun time right now here at Illinois to, to be led by, by uh, I think, such a great visionary as Josh. Mm-hmm. And my last question for you, because I know prior to, again, Illinois, you, I believe, were the head coach for Fresno State. And, you know, I think what people fail to realize, it's not just, you know, you and I know Peter Smith was at Fresno State. I think he was right after you, if memory serves me correct. And Fresno State has been a breeding ground for so many great young coaches to have success. And then, you know, from there, they go on to have success in so many other places as well. And unfortunately, you know, due to the pandemic, we learned Fresno State is going to be dropping men's tennis. And we learned, obviously, Iowa, Minnesota also dropping men's tennis. And, you know, I'm just curious for you, when you look at the landscape here post-pandemic, you know, again, because you have talked about what that sense of community, what college tennis can bring uh, to places across the country, uh, your thoughts, again, on what's happening to those programs and how schools can work to ensure that their program's not the next one that's cut. Yeah, I think, first off, th- those are horrible situations. And I'm a little bit close yeah. to all those. You mentioned that, you know, the Fresno State, but Jeff Young's a, a good friend of mine in Minnesota. And, w- and when I was playing, Minnesota was winning a lot of Big Ten titles. And, you know, Jeff just mm-hmm. won a Big Ten title not too many years ago. So they've had success. And, and then Ross is doing a great job at Iowa. And, and they've got great support at all those places. In Minnesota and Iowa, they've got great, you know, tremendous boosters behind their programs. So those were surprises. And, and again, I just think it's, it's, in my personal opinion, it's a wrong move for those departments, as opposed to saying, hey, you know, this is what we're willing to cover. You know, do you want to keep working you know, under these parameters and give the coach the choice of whether he thinks he can, you know, field a team with whatever restrictions they want to give them. And I think like if, you know, if our, if our boss ever said to you, Hey, this is, this is the changes we have to make, you know, to, to be competitive on a national scale and we've got to reduce X or Y or Z, then be, then, then give that coach a choice. You know, does he want to keep doing that or not? And I think cutting programs is the wrong thing for the, for the coaches. I think it's the wrong thing for the community. I think it's the wrong thing for the student athletes. And so that that's my personal opinion on it. No, I agree, and I do one follow-up. Is is Fresno just awesome? Like, is that why everyone goes there? There's just like, yeah, it's it's pretty freaking cool. So you ask somebody from California, and they'll tell you, you know, Fresno is the armpit of California. I, you know, <laughs> I would tell you, for me, I, I love the mountains, and so Yosemite's yeah. an hour away. I, I went up there at least once a month and uh, and just, you know, tried to get my mind right running around in the mountains and so forth. So it is uh, – Fresno's an amazing town, 
for anyone that knows that has been there and knows it and, and so forth. It's got tremendous nature around there and the weather's good and so forth. So it just gets a bad rap when you're when you're from California. So. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say I believe we went to Yosemite when I was younger and we stopped through there and I was like I'm a fan I was like I, I but I again I also have Midwest roots so you go from Michigan to California and you're just like what is all of this <laughs> uh, you're like we're the same country that's pretty cool uh, you know way to go Jefferson uh, but no of course uh, obviously I know I speak for all of us college tennis fans everyone listening to this when I say we appreciate all you have done not just for the University of Illinois but for college tennis in general because uh, I said it from the top it's the YouTube highlights I watch growing up and yeah you know do I need to watch Jared Hilsick pump his chest three times no I don't uh but just it gets you engaged in college tennis you learn about the energy the spirit of the uh, of the sport and you know you, you the highlights and the, the efforts you guys made to make all of that broadcasted it meant a lot to all of us college tennis fans so sincerely coach thank you for all you do for the sport thank you for playing host to us this weekend I apologize in advance for when I say something to tick you off on the broadcast but obviously very much looking forward to watching it all unfold this weekend. Hey, appreciate all the time. I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple days. Yeah, of course. Take care, Coach. Bye. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with University of Illinois men's tennis head coach Brad Dancer. A huge thank you to coach for taking the time to chat. Can only imagine how busy he must be in preparation for this weekend's event. Of course, if you want to follow the Division I Men's National Indoor Championships, be on the lookout for a link to that broadcast on our various Cracked Racket social media channels. You can also find all of the coverage on the Illinois Men's Tennis website. Of course, if you want to hear more about the action we and how we expect it to unfold. Matt Stokowiak and Chris Halioris joined me on the Great Shot Podcast to offer a preview podcast for all of your listeners. So you can find that wherever you listen to the Great Shot Podcast feed. Of course, be on the lookout for our coverage throughout the weekend as well of the Australian Open. We know the action is heating up down under, and of course, we will cover that day in, day out on our mini break podcast feed. And if you've missed any of our content, you can find it all on our website, crackrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i'm at great shot pod shout out as always to the super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at midwest sports go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 to get 15 percent off your order free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars and best of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls midwestsports.com the promo code is cr15 but with that in mind for my wonderful guest illinois head coach brad dancer our super producers fligner and westoff our friends at midwest sports and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast now Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.